0: Good morning, glad you guys are here, glad I get to be here. Let's uh, do a little bit of shouting. What do we do? We love God and we love others. And what do we say? I love love God God and I love you. you. So I'm glad to be here among my amazing friends this morning and our church family. Uh, As I was going through my prayer list, you know, uh, sometimes as pastors, like, there's people that you actually really love and there's some people that you, like, have to love because, like, you know, you're a Christian and stuff. And there's some people, like, that are hard to love. And as I was going through my prayer... Uh, prayer list this week, I was like, oh, you know what? I really like this family. This family is really great. And the next name, oh, they're so great. Oh, these ones are amazing. And I was like saying over and over and over and over. And I got to the end and I was like, there isn't anyone that I actually don't really like. And so I was like, thank you, Jesus. And like, uh, uh, but so blessed. And, and I constantly think, like, I can't believe that God lets me be around such amazing people, Let's me be uh, around you guys. And uh, so I was so thankful. As I was thinking about you guys and praying this week, and so glad you're part of this church family and part of my life as well. I love being at church and I love each of you. And so uh, we're in our third week here of our verse by verse study of 2 Peter with the overarching theme of true knowledge. So far, we've been talking about true knowledge found in knowing God both experientially and intellectually. Then we saw truth revealed uh, in eyewitness accounts, in uh, God's prescriptions. And then in prophecy, which is just truth revealed beforehand. And today we're going to go over a section where Apostle Peter unloads on the enemies of the truth. So buckle up for a verbal whooping on the purveyors of falsehood. So check out this initial smackdown we're going to see in just a second. It's sort of like, can you smell what the Peter is cooking? Does I get it? Because his name's The Rock. Peter means The Rock. And there's going to be a smackdown Sunday, Sunday. See that one? That's pretty good, huh? All right, so what we're going to look at is a smackdown from Peter against purveyors of falsehoods. And we're going to jump right into it in Second Peter 1, 1 through 3. But there were also false prophets among you, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them bringing swift destructions on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. So he starts off right away by talking about false prophets and false teachers. And the first thing I want to say to you is, be very careful, Christians because I hear these terms being thrown about in the Christian community towards other Christians, leveled at other believers or churches. When the Bible uses this term, it is not talking about Christians who disagree with you theologically. That is not what it's talking about. It's not talking about uh, someone who has a different view of a theological concept on a secondary or a tertiary issue. So a person who teaches that women can be pastors, ooh, they're a false teacher. No, absolutely not. Or the person who teaches uh, free will over predestination, ooh, that guy's a false prophet. Again, no. That, That isn't what the Bible means when it's saying false teacher and false prophet. Just because someone teaches something that you don't agree with, theologically, doesn't make them a false teacher or a false prophet. Do you really think that you are going to get to heaven and God is going to say to you, Sam, you got a 100% on all of the theological issues. Like, your, everything you, you think, Sam, is right. You got them all right. And boom every nuance, every detail. You understand me perfect. Good job, Sam. No chance. I'm shooting for 50-50 like these tests that we saw earlier. I have no delusion, self-delusions that, I, that I'm going to get 100%. At our uh, Wednesday night verse uh, Bible study, we've been going through the book of Exodus. And uh, I think it was this week or last week, we're talking about this phrase. We're, we're talking about this phrase: uh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we're saying, well, what does that mean? And then there, there are like four or five uh, major, like, uh, theological views of what this means. Either uh, God gave him what he wanted, or God can do whatever he wants, so he just hardened his heart. Or, or God's love for the people caused the Pharaoh's heart to be hardened. And so there five or six different views, and I, I shared with the group those uh, different views, and I said, okay. What do you think it is? And then out of our group, there were about 12 different answers. But there were only five options. So I was like, how is that even possible? There were people that were like, oh, I think it's a little one and two. I think it's a little five and three. You know? I was like, what are you, you're just mixing your own? There may be answers that I didn't even know to write on there. And so when they started to say different answers than the one I believed, you know what I shouted? False teachers! False teachers! Condemnation in 2 Peter on Sunday. Wait till church. You're getting it. No. Because those that's not a fundamental issue. How God or, or what was the process in the, in the heart of the Pharaoh where it was hardened isn't a false teaching issue. We can have different views of it because we're not sure how it goes. And it doesn't affect our eternity and our salvation. And so that's not a false teacher. Even if someone said like, uh, something that we all disagreed with. And even if he gets to heaven and he's wrong, God will just say, hey, you're wrong on that one. God's not going to be like, false teacher, you know? That isn't what it is. False teaching, in order to be a false teacher, one has to intentionally teach something that is contrary to the foundational and fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. So one of those is like, Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's fundamental, it's foundational. If you don't agree with that or you don't believe that, you cannot be a Christian. And so that is something, if someone's saying, hey, there's other ways to have an accept through Jesus, that's when you could say, false teacher. Or if someone uh, was teaching that Jesus was not fully man and fully God, that's a fundamental principle. If someone was teaching that God has not existed eternally in three persons, the Trinity is a fundamental teaching. If someone didn't believe that sin has separated man from God and that it's only by God's grace and atonement that we can go to heaven, and he's the only way, if they weren't teaching that, that would be a false teaching because that's a fundamental of the faith. Things like tongues, is, is it an angelic prayer language or is it a known earth language? Not a fundamental of the faith. And so some, someone teaches Hey, you need to have that angelic language. And you need to do that. Amen. No, you don't. You need to say Dios le bendiga. You know, it's got to be a known Spanish language. That's fine too. And we can disagree, and uh, we may both be right in heaven. We, God may say, Hey, there's a middle ground. And even if you don't agree with the other person, that doesn't make them a false teacher. It doesn't make them a false prophet. It means you have a theological difference, but it's not on a primary issue. It's on a secondary or a tertiary issue. And so don't level the claim false prophet to that person or false teacher. And I see that happen because I think Christians, we probably need to be a little bit more careful against leveling that charge against teachers or pastors or churches, that kind of thing, or other Christians that are around us. Peter says in that first verse, he says, the people I'm talking about, he, he qualifies it, says, they even deny the sovereign Lord who bought them. So he says, I'm talking about these fundamental issues. They don't, they don't even believe Jesus has bought them with a price. And so in the next passage we're going to read, so I want to forewarn you, we're going to read a long passage in just a second, and so I'm going to preview it a, a little bit. So uh, I don't normally do this, but it's going to be a long, long, long... The, the rest of Second Peter, is we're just going like, to read it all in a second. And so I want to preface it... Uh, by telling you that Peter is gonna be speaking against false teachers with some rather harsh language. People who teach uh, not only with their words, but their actions. And some of them are gonna be religious people. Now they won't be Christians, because remember they're now he'll be talking about false prophets, false teachers people who deny the fundamentals of the faith, but they will still be religious people. And some of them are not religious people. Some of them are people who teach just a wrong worldview or they, they teach to just live out your secular, self-gratifying nature, or that kind of thing. And so he's going he's gonna to just start like dish, 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 unloading on all sorts of actual false prophets and then uh, there'll be some condemnation in there and that sort of stuff. And, and so he's going to make a distinction between people who teach God's truth and those who don't in whatever form or title that they have. And so in that passage, we're going to see several motivations or roots for this. Sometimes it might be pride. Sometimes it might be uh, contentiousness. It might be unrighteousness or uh, intentional rejection of the truth. Sometimes it's just pure ignorance. Occasionally, it's a love for sin. They just don't want to give it up. And so that's why they try to teach people other ways to, to sort of navigate this earth. And so we're going to see that. And a second major thing I want you to see uh, before we dive into our passage right now is, uh, and this is going to get a little weird, like sort of English classy. And so uh, what we're going to see in our passage is a thing in uh, ancient writing called a chiastic structure. And it's really weird for us because in the Western world, we don't we don't write this way. In a chiastic structure, what you do is you start with all your evidence or your support and you work down to a main point and then you add more evidence and build it back up. And so it sort of looks like, a, like an hourglass. Big evidence all the way to a main point. then after that main point, more evidence, more evidence. And that's pretty common in the Bible. If you've ever wondered why the Bible said something, you get the point, and then it says it again. You're like, oh, did he forget that he just said that? No, it's a literary structure. We don't do that. What do we do? We give the main point. Evidence, 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 evidence. And you get to a concluding, concluding point which is really a restatement of the main point. So so we have main point, evidence, and then conclusion. So it's almost the inverse uh, way of writing and thinking. So this is called a chiascic structure. I think I have a, a little diagram. It looks like a Pac-Man there. Waka, 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 going the wrong way. Uh, and so it would be like... Uh, uh, Support one, support two, support three, main point. And then they always love to restate because uh, the Jewish people love and, and Greek people love to restate things. And they restate it, and then they give the same support going backwards. And so you see the structure all throughout. Once you start to look for it, you're going to notice that. So if you're reading your Old Testament, you're like, I just read that part, like, almost literally it feels like that. It's probably because they're using this, this type of literary device. Okay, so that's what they do. So we're going to uh, jump into this really long passage. And what we're looking for is... Uh, Uh, catching the flavor and the anger that Peter has towards falsehood, towards the enemies of truth. So we're looking for false persons, false teaching, and false actions. You ready? All right. That first part was the nice part. He started nice in those first few verses. Here he goes. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but he sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on the ungodly people, but he protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for a righteous man living among them that day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Here we get to our main point. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Hold that phrase in your mind. God knows how to rescue the righteous, the godly, and hold the wrong or the false for judgment. And then he's going to statement, statement, statement. Main point. Now here's the rest of it. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and they despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they're not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, though they're stronger and more powerful, they don't heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people, they blaspheme in matters that they don't understand. They're like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They'll be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. Their blots and blemishes reveling in the pleasures while they feast with you with eyes full of adultery. They never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed, unaccursed brood. They've left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people, their springs without water and their their mists driven by storms. Black as darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words by and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from from those who live in error. And they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they escape the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and they're overcome, they're they're worse off in the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, this proverb is true. A dog returns to its vomit. A sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Okay, now, that's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of vitriol there. Imagine I'm trying to read this, say, "How am I going to preach this passage to my folks? You know Bless you this morning, guys. Amen. <laughs> you know. But why is Peter so adamant? Why is he so like teed off on this issue? Why, why is he so bothered by this? And the reason is because souls matter to him people matter to him, and the truth matters. He gets all worked up here, and, and there are things getting worked up, worth getting worked up for, and this is one of them. He's getting all worked up because he recognizes there's a lot on the line. Remember what our main point was. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. There are two final positions. There's rescued righteous, and there's unrighteous. Righteous receive heaven and they get to walk with God and they get perfection and they get to be have a relationship in which God designed them to have. He creates humans so that he could be with them. That's one of the options. That's the true option. And then all the rest tries to pull away from that and lead to falseness. And what does the, the unrighteous receive? They receive judgment. And the only way to righteousness is through Jesus. That's why denying the sovereign Lord who has bought them in that first uh, first couple of verses was so... Important because Jesus is everything. And if you start denying that, then you have no recourse. All sin is forgivable except the sin of rejecting Jesus. If you reject Jesus, there is no recourse for that. There's no cover for that. There's no no redemption for that. Jesus is the only way to heaven, it is a non negotiable. And so in our passage, we see Peter passionately speaking against those who would pull people off of the right track pull people away from the truth for all sorts of reasons, right? You saw all sorts of the enemy's trick, like he was talking about how uh, Balaam tried to do it. Balaam is this guy who uh, they pay, he's a Jewish guy, and uh, he's a Jewish, supposedly a a prophet of God, and another group says, hey, we'll pay you money if you curse the Israelites, and he's like, how much? And they give him a price, and he's like, okay. So here's a guy who's supposed to have the best interest of people, and instead of Having their best interest, he takes money in order to pray a curse over them. Now, God intervenes so the Israelites don't get cursed by this guy. So that's that kind of people that that Peter is so aggressively against. Folks who are following their just natural urges. He says that's that's not the truth, to just follow that. Acting not as reasoning and and restrained human beings, but giving into their basest desires. He says that is not how the truth works making public things which God designed to be private and modest, using sex and an unadulterated life to seduce people from God and from his desires, false promises of different truths that turn out to be empty and ultimately lead to destruction, enticing those who are even trying to escape all that by finding God and just pulling them back in and pulling them back in. Slaves to the flesh, slaves to the world, slaves to jobs, we see a multitude of tactics to attack the truth and to promote lies, but God ain't having none of it. The truth is important because of the massive consequences of not having the truth. There's a CBS News report, uh, October six, two 2022. Here's what the report says. A North Carolina father died just after his daughter's ninth birthday party, when his GPS guided him onto a bridge that was destroyed in 2013. On September 30th, Phil Paxson was heading home after his daughter's celebration in Hickory, North Carolina, on a dark and rainy night his mother-in-law, Linda, shared on October 3rd. He was following his GPS, which led him down a concrete road to a bridge that dropped off into a river. The bridge had been destroyed nine years ago and never repaired and there weren't any warning signs. The truth mattered. <laughs> he got bad truth. He got falsehood. He turned down the wrong road, and he drove into a ditch and died. Truth matters. Having the truth matters in real life. There are real-life ramifications to having the truth or having falsehoods. Real-life negative consequences. He, he listed some of them. He said, Remember when the whole world was unrighteous? God destroyed the earth. And Noah and his family was saved because they were righteous. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? God destroyed a city and a whole bunch of people. But only those who were right in God's eyes were able to escape that. There are real consequences. There's disfavor from God. There's eternal judgment in heaven. It's okay. I mean, I think it's even okay to die here on earth. That's all right. But he says, hey, there's... There's real judgment coming for those who don't have the truth. That judgment is is going to mean separation from God eternally if you don't have the truth. Life of sin causing us to be distant, not only in the future, but even now, from the God who loves us. So Peter is adamant about the reality and the severe consequences which come to those who ignore and reject spiritual truth. He speaks very strongly for truth by highlighting God's abhorrence for the false. But he doesn't say these things because he hates people. And he doesn't say them because he wants to limit them. And he doesn't say them because he wants to be judgmental. He speaks so strongly because he deeply, deeply cares about people. He loves them more than he loves his own life, his own popularity, and his own comfort. When my son Ethan was really little, we went to uh, Sea World, I think. Uh, And we were down in Sea World. He was probably two or three. And in Sea World, they had a little playground that you could go on. And uh, he was playing on this playground. And there was another little boy, probably maybe six, bigger than Ethan, maybe six months or a year older. And then he kept, like, cutting in front of my son. I watched it the first time. I was was a new parent, you know. uh, Our other kids weren't uh, in our family yet. And so he cut in front of my son. I saw. I saw. They get up and they're in this, like, playland. The kid pushes him over. I was like, oh, come on now, kid. We're not doing bullying at two years old, you know? Like, I'm not going to have this. And then and the kid continues to be kind of a punk. Then they got out, and they were on the sand part, and he's, like, throwing sand and stuff toward my son. And I, I was getting heated. I'm all, I was like, I'm going to punch that little kid, you know? Like, how? I'm going to kill him. Like, what, kid? You know, I'm this huge adult. You know, look around how big his parents might be. I didn't see any big guys around. So I'm a, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go take care of that little kid because he's like, like bothering my son, picking on my son, hurting my son. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna go say something. I'm gonna I was like really getting agitated. And I I'm a pretty calm person nowadays. I get agitated, and the thing that agitates me probably the most in my life is when I see my my kids getting hurt by other people. When I see my my kids uh uh. Maybe other people telling them the wrong way to go, and then and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna kill that stupid kid, like that friend that's like telling him the wrong thing, right? I'm gonna punch that kid, and that, that's I think how Peter feels. He's agitated not because he doesn't like them, but because he does. I'm agitated not because I don't care about my son, but because I really do care about him. I, I want to punk that bully because he's hurting my son, and this is how Peter views falsehood. He said, I want to, I want that stuff destroyed. And I, I want the darkest depths for the falsehood because, because the people are so important to me. The Bible's not listing this to say, hey, here's all these rules of condemnation. God wants to judge people. There's going to be hell and consequences. It's not, it's not because he dislikes us that he says this. It's because, in fact, the opposite, because he loves us so much. He can't stand falsehood because it pulls us away from the truth. And Peter's the same way. He wants people to live and thrive, and he knows that it's only in God's truth where human beings can do this. His love for people drives him to extol the truth and condemn lies, even if it's kind of hard for us to read. And so for us, I think it's critical to pause in our lives occasionally, just occasionally pause and, and assess if we are taking God and his truth seriously. Have we, Have we put... Our understanding of God and his word and the things that he wants have, have we put them at the top of our list maybe they were but have they started to fall down on our priority list have they started to slide down to a lower place in our life's priority where we 're going to just let that untruth go or we're just going to ignore this other untruth or we're just going to live in this way that god doesn't want us to but but it 's okay because mostly I follow God and i 'm just going to hold on to a little bit of my untruth and I'm just going to listen to a, a, a couple of ideas or maybe I'll watch another person deconstructing their faith or whatever. I sort of start to buy into some of these ideas. and Have we started to do that? And this is just me asking because I love you. Remember I started out with that. I was praying through the list. I like you guys all. I, I really do like all of you. I, I want you to live this dynamic, amazing life in the Lord. I, I want you to be healthy and free and good and and blessed, and, and, and breathe right, and sleep well. And that only happens in the truth of God. See, God's truth matters. It's the way of salvation. It's the way of freedom. It's the way of true joy. It's the way of both eternal life and fullness in this life. And so I'd like you to just take a few moments with me right now, and, and maybe just before we end in our worship song, just take a moment and say, God, am I putting your truth first? Are there lies that I have bought into? Are there things that are not true, but rather false in my life? God, am I prioritizing knowing you and your truth? And it's just between you and him. But I want to invite you to do that for just a minute. Like This is a great opportunity. No one's listening. No one can hear your thoughts. No one hears your, is your prayer, except God. And, and just to start to say that, God, am I following your truth? Am I all in on your goods? on the things that you want, on the way that you're speaking. And so go ahead and allow God to search your heart and remind you of the importance of his truth this morning.